So the day after Hamas, that's the that's the name of this plan that Netanyahu has put forth. It's not like a, a very detailed plan where they specify we're gonna do this, 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 and this on this day. No, it's a, it's more of an a more of an outline. <laughs> Excuse me, it's more of an outline, if you will. So let's get into this outline because we know that Israel keeps. Um, saying no to the various peace proposals that Hamas has put forward. So, in lieu of that, it's important to then sort of get a perspective of what exactly Israel, uh, under Netanyahu, is working towards. What is their vision for the end game of this conflict? If the peace proposals, which are pretty modest, uh, that Hamas has been putting forward, if those are unacceptable, then what exactly is Israel aiming for? Well, they, they, of course, they say that they want to destroy Hamas. So, with beyond the vagueness of that and the fact that they're not succeeding at that, what exactly are they looking for? So, this plan, this general outline of the day after Hamas plan. So, obviously, that is uh, from the starting line of having destroyed Hamas. Right. It's in the name. I think this plan does give us a... a pretty good general idea of what Netanyahu has in mind when he thinks of the post-war or well I guess I, I could say post-war because if you destroy Hamas you're, that should be the end of this multi-decade long war between Israel and Gaza and so I, I do suppose this would be a, a it would be fair to call this a post-war vision if you will so, what do they have in store? What does Netanyahu have in store? The demilitarization of Gaza. Uh, and we're talking about, uh, again, start from the starting line of having destroyed Hamas, the demilitarization of Gaza. No organized military, which is all, which Palestine already doesn't really have, aside from Hamas. No weaponry. No military-grade weaponry. Certainly not. Uh, none of that. Demilitarization of the Gaza, except for Israeli forces. Right? which are going to be stationed in Gaza and in, in in the West Bank as well, and we'll get into that later on in this plan. Uh, but Israeli forces are going to be occupying Gaza for the de-radicalization of the Palestinians living there, because the demilitarization is step one. The de-radicalization of the Palestinians is the step two, right? And right off the bat, we can start to note some of these similarities between what Netanyahu is proposing here in his outline for the post-war and what Russia's stated war aims in Ukraine are. Demilitarization, and here we have de-radicalization in place of denazification. So I just thought these are very interesting parallels here, right? And that sort of popped out to me. And again, since these wars are being compared, when you have... Uh, hundreds of thousands of military deaths in Ukraine and civilian casualties barely in the tens of thousands versus military losses in the low thousands in Gaza between Israel and Palestine and civilian casualties in the tens of thousands and, uh, well, civilian deaths in the tens of thousands. Casualties are rapidly approaching 100,000 because casualties are deaths and wounded. So these wars are already being compared now in terms of the performance of the fighting forces involved. So I think it's very interesting now that Israel, much later than Russia did, Russia sort of came out from the get-go 
with with their uh, war aims. It's I find it very interesting that Netanyahu has unveiled his war aims, and these are the the general outline here, and how similar they are to what Russia's war aims are. And as these wars go on, we'll be able to see who means what. Uh, not in the event that Israel does win, and they get their way. It'll be very interesting to see, because we know Russia's going to win in Ukraine as well. It'll be very interesting to see and compare demilitarization in Ukraine versus demilitarization in, in Gaza. Denazification in Ukraine versus de-radicalization in Palestine. It'll be very interesting to compare the, these policies in the event that Israel wins, although I'm not entirely convinced that they will, but that'll be something to watch. Now, this document which is, again, literally called Day After Hamas. Uh, it lays out this outline of what Netanyahu wants to see. And this is, again, in the context of a total Israeli victory. Not, not like just destroying Hamas, but a total Israeli victory. Because you can't... Israel, because they refuse peace, deals with the Palestinians. The, the means of imposing a treaty stating de-radicalization isn't on the table for them like it was for Russia with Ukraine where denazification was going to be in in the treaty the peace treaty between Russia and Ukraine so that is ruled out here and that is another key difference that we can note uh, again aside from the obvious differences of circumstance that's a very interesting very interesting difference no negotiation no treaty but total victory and a direct imposition of these war aims by way of Israeli military occupation in Gaza. And according to the New York Post, quote, the plan also stipulates that IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, will continue the war until Hamas is eliminated and then will remain, and then will maintain, excuse me, indefinite freedom to operate in Gaza to help stop the resurgence of terrorism in the area, end quote. So this is, uh, and I've brought it up a couple times earlier, indefinite occupation of Palestine by the Israeli military. So this is, so when we talk about them demilitarizing, de-radicalizing de Palestine, this is not, again, not going to be done by treaty. This is going to be done by force, by force of arms. Assuming total victory over Hamas. And this is going to be done under the auspices of anti-terrorism. We're staying around to de-radicalize these people. We're staying around to fight the, the resurgence of terrorism. Now all they're going to do by doing this is they're going to breed terrorism. By occupying a foreign land. But occupation is just one part. Because while the plan doesn't necessarily say this. The plan doesn't necessarily say this. I'm pretty sure the, the unspoken agreement is that they're going to try to expel as many Palestinians as they, as they can. Because they're already trying to do it now. They were already doing it before with the resettlement program. They're doing it now when they're demanding that Egypt open up its border. But somehow in this, this uh, day after Hamas plan, Netanyahu says that Israel would establish a security buffer zone on the Palestinian side that would exist as long as there is a security need for it. 
So that is literally forever because they view the Palestinians themselves as a security threat. And that's before you factor in the fact they're not going to destroy Hamas. Uh, but going back to my point about them wanting the Palestinians to cross the border into Egypt, the plan also has a... Uh, where is it? Where is it? Uh, a stipulation where Israel is going to be controlling Palestine's border with both Egypt and Jordan. With the idea that they're not going to allow people to come in. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to allow people to leave. I think that this is sort of sort of showing the hand, if you will. Because Israel wants to occupy Palestine. And now here they come with their, uh, essentially their war aims that they've produced mid-war. Here's what we want to do. We want the total destruction of Hamas. That that's non-negotiable. That's the starting line for them, which is, it with, with that being the view that, understandably then leads to negotiating with Hamas for peace. That is taken off the table, and that's one of the big concessions that is made with this proposal, because it it is a proposal. It's not necessarily a stated policy yet, but Netanyahu being the one to make this proposal, and he's the leader of Israel. He's the one executing the war. That's probably, even though this isn't, like, a stated policy, this is probably what's been guiding his actions, his desire for these things to be brought about. And so with that in mind, it now becomes much more understandable why he has not accepted any of these peace offerings from Hamas, which could have ended the war, ended the fighting, got them the hostages back, and perhaps been the foundations of a better peace that could have been dictated uh, by Israel, and when I say dictated, I mean it could have been on Israel's terms rather than what's likely to come down the line, which is an international coalition using an ICJ ruling as the justification for intervening in Israel to stop genocide, which is sort of what we can see on the horizon here. So this is what is uh, Netanyahu's thinking about when he's rejecting these various peace proposals from Hamas. Uh, let me see. Netanyahu said that Israel would also establish a, we, a security buffer zone on the Palestinian side as long as there is a security need for it, which is always because they view the Palestinians as, as a security threat. Gaza will also be demilitarized, uh, allow, only allowing what, quote, what is required for the needs of maintaining public order, uh, the plan stated. Religious, educational, and welfare institutions will also be de-radicalized, end quote. So they want total control of the education system, total control of the Palestinian religious sector. That'll in and of itself will re-radicalize anybody who would otherwise have gone along with this plan. Um, and only what is required for the needs of maintaining public order. Well, we can see that they're not afraid to place a siege on Gaza by cutting them off from food, water, electricity, fuel, and medical supplies. So who's to say that what they determine is necessary for the public uh, order is not actually going to be slightly less than what is really needed to encourage outward migration of the Palestinians from Palestine? 
and then they go, oh, look, these X many people left, so now we're going to reduce the amount of goods that are allowed in by X amount. We don't want terrorists to stock up, to be able to stock up on these goods. And, of course, they're going to label all the Palestinians as potential terrorists, and thus the security risk is always going to be there, so you always need to maintain the security buffer zone in Palestine. You know, just when you read between the lines, this is what they're saying. Uh, this is what they're saying. When you read between the lines, when you see the way they treat the Palestinians, when you see the way they view the Palestinians, when you see the way that they reject peace multiple times, this is what's in the cards. Depopulation of Palestine using direct control over Palestine as a mechanism to force that expulsion through tyranny, through blatant and deliberate tyranny of the Palestinians. That's what they want. So a total occupation of Gaza and the West Bank, because they don't just want to control Palestine's border with Egypt, they want to control Palestine's border with Jordan. But the only way to do that is to control the West Bank. So total occupation of Gaza and the West Bank, which would effectively amount to this idea of a greater Israel that has been floating around since October the 7th. Well, I shouldn't say since October the 7th. It was it was around before then, but it's sort of been an idea that has come back into the fore since the Hamas attack on October the 7th. And this is what Netanyahu is aiming for. Greater Israel, where Israel is in total control of all of Palestine and essentially is then able to use total victory over the Palestinians as a means of wiping out Palestine through mass expulsions of people, ethnic cleansing, and in the case of the war right now, genocide. And if they were successful, that is exactly what would happen. And it would be like a second Nakba, which is the event where the Israelis landed in Palestine following World War II and the establishment of an Israeli state, and they forced out slash killed every Palestinian in sight to lay the foundations of the modern state of Israel. M massive, it, uh, a sort of miniature scale of what happened when India and Pakistan got their independence from Britain, and there was just this this massive bloodshed as the populations were sort of exchanged across the new national borders. That's kind of what happened during the founding of Israel, right? Sort of. So imagine the 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 fighting and the barbarity of the North American frontier in the in the context of the United States. Imagine that, but compressed into a handful of years. Because we were almost in a constant state of war with the Native Americans, just as the Native Americans were almost in a constant state of war with each other. Like, North America was not a, a, a happy-go-lucky place until we tamed the frontier. Like, people really don't understand. The world can be very cruel. And now, now imagine that barbarity and that savagery, and it did get barbaric and savage and compress that into the space of like a year or two. That's the founding of Israel on the bodies of many Palestinian Arabs who were previously living on this patch of land. And then you get the partition of the patch of land between Israel and Palestine. And if you'll notice, Palestine originally had a lot more land than it does today. So... This is essentially what's happening here. Another forcible ejection of the Palestinians. 
where it's happening at a much more accelerated pace now because of the war than it was before under the resettlement program. And the goal is for total Israeli domination of all of Palestine's land, and then eventually people just learn to live with the fact that Israel's in control of it, and then people will forget that there ever was a Palestine. And then Israel will finally be safe and secure until they're not, you know. That's the end goal. And that is technically a win condition for the Israelis if they could pull this off without spawning in an international coalition against themselves. The problem is that they're being sued for genocide right now. While they have multiple great powers in the region talking about fighting a war with them. And it's only going to get worse from here. But this is what Netanyahu has in mind. Now, we can, you can like it, you can agree with it, you could dislike it, you could disagree with it, but it's important to understand the two sides of this conflict here. He is not approaching this from the standpoint of, let's just end the fighting. He's approaching this from the standpoint of, this war is our opportunity to finally have greater Israel to finally deal with the Palestinian question and to finally complete the essentially the, the colonization of this patch of land to make it core Israel, all of it. Not Israel hyphen Palestine, but just Israel. And then we'll finally ha have our security, we'll finally have a contiguous border. Uh, well, well, Israel already does have a contiguous border. It's Palestine who's bisected. But we'll, we'll finally have a, a solid state that is ours. We'll have all of Palestine's oil and natural gas resources. Their, their coastline will be our coastline if we annex Gaza. So then we'll have the rights to their natural gas deposits in the Mediterranean. It's an economic and political play, using the military as a tool to achieve these ends. That's how Netanyahu is viewing this, as a means of finally getting rid of the Palestinians from Palestine. Finally removing the Palestinians from Palestine. That's the way he sees this. And that's the way we should look at this, from this point onwards. So, we asked, and I, we asked why didn't the Israelis want to make peace, especially when the ceasefires did more for them than fighting. Because remember, that it, they've been fighting for almost two months and then the ceasefire happens in late November, and more hostages are freed and let go by the savage barbarian terrorists uh, than they were than the civilized Israelis were able to recover through military force. And I'm like, well, okay, more was achieved during this ceasefire than in almost two months of war at that time. Certainly, that should demonstrate to you that these people, Hamas, actually can be reasoned with, and therefore it might be in our interest to reason with it. If you're looking at it from a, a practical Israeli perspective, you might not like that, but you, and you don't, but you don't have to like it. You can see that there are clearly defined benefits to working with these people, uh, and you can get your people back. You can come to some type of agreement with the other side, and that is preferable to the other side actually being barbarians who just want to kill you all. They don't. You, that means there is a basis for some kind of agreement and arrangement to be reached. And so I asked the question, why say no to peace? And then I made the case on multiple occasions 
as to why Israel should accept these peace deals from Hamas and, and how they could use that and play it off as we're being uh, the reasonable ones. We just want to stop the killing. We, we've made our point, all right? They, they, they're suing for peace. They're throwing in the towel. We, we've avenged all that we've lost on October the 7th. It's time to end the fighting. It's time to end the killing and get back to peace. Like They could have did that. They could have said that. And I argued that they should have on multiple occasions. Every time we get a new peace deal from Hamas, I make that case. And I think I even titled one of my sub-episodes, when I break the episode up into multiple pieces, I think I've even titled it, The Case for Why Israel Should Accept the Gaza Peace, uh, not the, the Hamas Peace Plan. They keep saying no. And now, now we know why. Now we know what definitively, because this is what Netanyahu has had in his head. Uh, sort of sort of like preliminary baseline skeleton for what we're seeing here with this um, this outline that he's now proposed. Now we know. And so now we can make our judgments of Israel's actions accordingly. And that's the good thing about being able to hear both sides of a conflict. You can understand what everyone wants, which is why propaganda and deliberately trying to censor and cut off other people's ability to speak is so detrimental towards context and the truth because if you can't see what the other side is actually saying then you can't compare what they say to what they do if you can't see what the other side is doing then you can't again compare what they say they want to what they do you can't come you can't compare their narratives to your own narratives to find consistencies or inconsistencies with either their narrative or your own. They say that the truth lies somewhere in, in the middle. That's not always the case, but it's a pretty good saying because you can always learn something from the other side. And now we've, we've learned why the Israelis keep saying no to peace when peace would, from an outside perspective, peace would be more advantageous to Israel. Especially since they've devastated Gaza to this point. Why not say no to peace? This is why. And this is why you let people speak. This is why free speech is so important. You, people eventually tell on themselves eventually. But alas, we now know why Israel doesn't want peace. So, I guess we wait for the genocide trial. But that's uh, Israel. That's Israel. So now we'll move on to CPAC.